Well, welcome again to our listeners. I'm Danny Torres, host of the Talking 21 podcast and part of the Our Esquina Podcast Network. As we approach the Christmas season, a special time of the year where millions travel to be with loved ones, I have fond memories of my immediate family visiting my aunt, Mitia, in Yonkers, a suburban city in New York, where the Torres family gathered to enjoy an unbelievable Puerto Rican meal. And of course, good conversation, laughter, and listening to my dear mother and her youngest sister share stories about their own childhood and life in Puerto Rico. But most importantly, it was about being grateful, appreciative, and yes, thankful for the gift of family and loved ones. So I ask our listeners, what are you truly thankful for? In this episode, our next guest, Fred Cambria, who is a good friend of mine, will share his recollections on being drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1969. Now just imagine, while he stood on the pitcher's mound, what this native New Yorker was thinking when he looked over to second base and saw Bill Mazarowski, or even better, gazing towards the outfield and tipping his cap to Willie Stargell, and of course, the legendary right fielder, Roberto Clemente, who affectionately always called his teammate Cambria. Fred is extremely grateful to the Pittsburgh Pirates for giving him an unbelievable opportunity to suit up and play the game he still to this very day loves unconditionally. Recently, he said those two simple words when I asked him about those players and the entire 1970 team. Danny, I can't thank the Pirates and that team enough for embracing me from day one, but I want to especially say thank you to my roomie, Maz, and of course, Willie and Roberto. Certainly, that's been a gift that Fred has treasured since the day he met those extraordinary ballplayers over 50 years ago, and he hasn't forgotten. So now, here's my conversation with not only a former Major League Baseball pitcher, but most importantly, my good friend, Fred Cambria, a Pittsburgh Pirate for life. Well, welcome, Fred Cambria, 1970 Pittsburgh Pirates. How are we doing today, Freddie? Uh, terrific, Danny. So you, good. Thank you for having me. Well, I'll tell you, it's been quite some time that we've discussed this, uh, maybe almost a year, but let's get started. And I'm no, I know for a fact we're going to have a lot of fun. No problem. I'm, I'm here for fun and telling the stories about a great team and great teammates. Beautiful. Well, listen, Fred, for our listeners, I'd like you if you could kindly share about your childhood in Cambria Heights, the borough that I live in, which is obviously Queens, and who was responsible for introducing Fred Cambria to the game of baseball? Oh, boy, myself. We used to uh, play uh, in the schoolyards, the PS uh, public schools, because they had the, the short right field and then they had the uh, large left field. So um, we did that and we played stickball just about every day after school. That was it. That's why I never studied and I just loved the game. And then when baseball came along and uh, that was basically it. But really, I started before that just a little bit. And you know how narrow those uh, roads are on the Cross Island Parkway. We played are on the, you know, on the grass over there, and we throw the ball up and uh, hit it, and uh, 
I was young. We had older guys there. And one guy hit a line drive and I caught it by mistake, I guess. And uh, I was shocked that it wasn't my glove. And after that, everybody picked me. So it worked out from there. You know, as a kid, Fred, I mean, I played the game of baseball, truly enjoyed it where I grew up in the South Bronx. And I know for a fact, Fred, who were my baseball idols growing up, specifically the 1973 New York Mets. I was seven years old. But for Fred Cambria, who were those Major League Baseball players that you gravitated to? Any mentors or players that maybe just guided you and provided direction? Uh, well, I was a Dodger fan. My father took me up to Ebbets Field one day before they left, and uh, it was a great experience for me. And I went to my father. I said, I want to become a baseball player that day. And I'll tell you the reason why, Danny. The grass was beautiful. They had the old uniforms. So that's why I'm such a, tra a traditionalist. And uh, uh, the smoke, the cigars, the beer, I just was, it's baseball. And it was a nice uh, Friday night. And uh, I fell in love with the game also. And so uh, many of us have fallen in love with that game now. For me, you know, I'm 56 years of age and truly love the game. And so much of what you just described, the field itself, the colors of the field, that's something that Bob Costas and one of our previous episodes talked about. You know, Fred, um, you had that opportunity to go to college, St. Leo's University in Florida. Was St. Leo's the only option for you to obviously play baseball in college, or was New York considered at all? Well, quick story, Danny, and uh, you asked about my mentor. Um, it was kind of funny. I was not a very good student. Uh, I got left back one year in high school because I concentrated on sports, and, and I, that's all I did. I never studied. And uh, I'm not embarrassed to say it because I want young kids to understand how important education is and also study when you're in high school so you can get to college. And um, uh, a neighbor of mine knew the priest down at um, St. Leo University. He called him up and said, can you do me a favor? He's a good kid. This is what he told me, uh, a good kid and uh, he can play the game. And, but I went down for basketball. It wasn't for baseball. Oh, it's interesting. And I was- What, uh, what position, Freddie? What, what position in basketball? Guard. Guard, guard? okay. Yeah. And uh, I enjoyed it. That was pretty decent. I had a couple of teams look at me, but nobody really liked me in basketball and nobody really liked me in baseball. So I was at that crossroads. And all of a sudden, uh, I was, uh, the gentleman called and he said, I'll take you on one condition that um, uh, you're on probation. I said, fine. So I got in the plane for the first time, first time I left New York, and uh, I had to get a 250. And uh, Danny, I never, I tried out for basketball, and I was good. I was maybe the seventh man, but uh, I had no future in it. And when I tried out for baseball, and that the gentleman said, that the coach did, said, uh, hey, you know, you've got a future here. And it's really was nice to hear because Really, when I left uh, my senior year in high school, nobody really liked me, Danny. I had scouts come down, all that, but nobody really took a, a liking to me, you know? So I was appreciative of the opportunity and I did a lot of pitching. And uh, he didn't know much about baseball. He was a basketball guy. And uh, what I did is uh, the next year, he brought in a professional uh, player who did that. And uh, he taught me so much about baseball. His name was Bill Meyer unfortunately passed on but the bill taught me everything about the game 
that I needed to know to get ahead and possibly the opportunity of uh, get drafted. You know, you mentioned, uh, and you pro probably, Freddie, you shouldn't sell yourself too short with regards to the talent that uh, you possessed during that time period, because I came across a sporting news article, and there were a few quotes, and interesting, those that are attributed to these quotes. It said uh, about Fred Cambria and his potential uh, leap to the big leagues, and one of the quotes comes from uh, your former manager. It wouldn't surprise me if Cambria made the jump. And you know, that was Danny Murtaugh. And then someone else, someone else that you're familiar with, his son actually was the pitching coach with the New York Mets, uh, Rick Peterson. Right. Cambria is more advanced than most pitchers spend seasons in the minors. And that's the Pirates farm director, Harding Peterson. So these individuals, including Howie Hake, were confident in your ability and here it is, you were drafted in 1969 in the third round. So Fred, you sold yourself maybe a little short there when you were talking about whether it was basketball or baseball, but you had some mentors. You had people that obviously provided um, hope for Fred Cambria. What are your recollections when uh, you were drafted in 69? Um, well, it was very interesting. Howie Hay came with, uh, I had a game that night after, uh, well, let me start a little bit before that, Danny. I tried out with the Mets the day before the, uh, Shea Stadium. I did not know that. I did And not know that. Uh, I threw the ball very well that day. And the gentleman came up to me and says, I want you, uh, we're going to dressing you very high, one of two. And I was so excited because I love the Mets after the Dodgers. And um, it was a great opportunity for me. So uh, I didn't sleep that night. And the phone did, still hasn't rung from the Mets. But uh, the Pirates called me about 1030 and they said, uh, we just drafted you. Wow. I was so kind of heartbroken from just for a second because it was the Pirates. But then I didn't realize they had Roberto. They had uh, Willie Stargell, all these great guys that I used to go and watch batting practice for. And because I like the uniforms, you know, and plus they were great players. So uh, Howie took a look at me and uh, I threw 15 pitches. He said, let's go in a car. Let's go into my car. And uh, I did. And he said, listen, we like you. We uh, want to draft you. Um, we'll pay for your last uh, education, last year education. Uh, I promised my folks that I, I uh, would finish college. And um, that's what they did. And I was very happy. And uh, I was on a plane to uh, Pittsfield, Massachusetts about two days later. And uh, Joe Morgan was the manager. And we had some great guys on that team. Uh, well, you know, we're, well. yeah, where we're, we're talking 1969, you're actually uh, another time that I could say the number 21. You're only 21. It's your first year in the minors. You have a nine and two record in the Eastern League with the York Pirates, which obviously was a Pirates affiliate. And you threw also a perfect game. So you seem pretty confident in your ability, Frank Cambria. Talk about that particular year. Well, it was very interesting. I was very nervous and um, I didn't know what to expect. And my first day back in York after the long bus ride home, we get in like seven or eight o'clock in the morning. Oh my God, we got to play that night. So welcome to the minor leagues. And um, the gentleman I was pitching that night, his name was Dick Dare. I never forget it because he came from the Dodger organization and I watched him throw. And I said to the gentleman next to me, I said, I can't pitch in this league. This is Guys, too good. And uh, he had the best curveball, Danny, I've ever seen, straight down. 
He had a great fastball that ran. And uh, the guy put his arm around me, and I never forget his name was Ray Cadero. And he put his arm around me and said, Fred, just wait. The minute he crosses that white line, he's, he's such a different person. And uh, it was very interesting he said that. So sure enough, uh, after five runs later and no outs, um, he looked at me and I looked at him. I said, hey, I'm ready to throw. And that's what happened. But uh, a couple of games later, um, I won a couple of games. And uh, fortunately, Danny, which is very interesting, Danny, uh, Danny Murtar's son, Danny was out that year because he had a bad heart, heart attack and he was like on the disabled list for the year. And um, uh, his son was there to see his son. And we had a double, uh, we played the I think Cleveland Indians at that time. And I was pitching the first game and uh, Murtar was the catcher. And Danny came to see his son. And anyway, I pitched that perfect game. And wow. I think that's what gave me some, you know, leverage in the organization. My name was used and said, you know, maybe he could do something. So that was very interesting, Danny. And uh, I had a pretty good record on that. But I did go back to school. They wanted me to go to AAA. And I said, you know, I got to go back to school. And um, they were very generous about that. And I finished my degree. And you know, eventually I want to go in the FBI. That was my, that was my golden life, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, it's life after baseball. Well, you know, you know, Fred, you kept that promise to your parents about finishing your education. Um, unfortunately, that's just not something that you hear so often today in professional sports. Well, you know, salaries that professional athletes are making in, you know, uh, but the following year for Fred Cambria, here it is, August 26, 1970. You finally make your major league debut, and uh, it's against the San Diego Padres. Now they won two to one. I know, but they only, but they but they only had four hits, and the Pirates twelve, including Clemente with three hits. There was only Fred. I'm wondering why Freddie wasn't a sellout. There were only 6,000 people in attendance. So what do you remember about that day, Frank Oh, Campbell? I remember that. I was, um, uh, first of all, I had to buy or, uh, borrow a pair of shoes, my spikes, because the last game in Columbus I pitched, then I went, I had to meet a charter in Pittsburgh that uh, next day, like at 9 o'clock when I went out to L.A. And uh, the other story about the, the plane ride was a gentleman comes up to me, and he says, uh, my name is uh, John. He says, I'm the traveling secretary. Now, at that time, uh, Danny, I was making $750 a month. Can you repeat that, Fred? How much he was making a month? $750 a month. $750. And uh, I thought I was rich. I was in college, you know, and stuff like that, just getting out of college. And uh, he came up to me and said, uh, you know, he starts giving me these $100 bills. I said, holy Christmas. Uh, this is nice, you know, and of course it made more money. We stayed uh, than we went to San Francisco, then we went to San, uh, San Francisco and L.A. So, you know, a couple of bucks there was, was terrific, you know. But um, anyway, uh, I was out in the bullpen, I mean, on the field shagging uh, baseballs. And uh, that day I pitched and um, uh, some guy comes running out and he says, Danny wants to see you. I said, oh, no, no, I, what did I do, you know? I hope I'm not send, be, be sent down again, you know? He said, you're pitching tonight, son. Wow. And I said, oh, wow. I had no spikes. So I had to go to Stevie, uh, 
uh, Stevie Blass. And I wow, said, really? Stevie, he had Steve Blass for pair cleats. I had to get Stevie's uh, spikes uh, to wear till my shoes were ready, you know, and uh, that's what happened. So I did, you know, pretty well. And, um, you know, it was very good. But the funny part about that, Danny, uh, Ed Spezio beat me with a two-run homer. And I always considered him as a little punch and Judy hitter. And nothing that would really hurt me uh, as far as a, you know, a home run was concerned. Yeah, his, uh, his son played in the major leagues as well. I believe he uh, played in the Cardinals. He played with the Cardinals. He was a good, hit, good ball player, you know. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, they had a pretty good lineup there. You know, some heavy hitters, Ferrara. Uh, they had some home run hitters. And, uh, you know, I did okay with them and everything. And uh, anyway, the funny part about finishing your story and that are up two to one. And um, they had bases loaded out. And uh, guess who's up with two outs, bases loaded, Mr. Clemente. No way. Up. No way. Danny, on my mother's grave. This is what happened. So sure enough, it's three, two, ninth inning and Roberto. I said, I'm not getting an L tonight. You know, the best ball player in the country is uh, in the world. And uh, he's going to bail me out of this thing. He gets a call strike three and I had my first L, but uh, I was very pleased and they were pleased. And I pitched about four days later in San Francisco. Well, We'll forgive the great one for uh, striking out there in a moment that could have been uh, Fred Cambria's first win. Yeah. But I, I'll have to say, Fred, when you think about the 1970 Pittsburgh Pirates, they were quite special. Okay, we know what happened in 71, but here it is. They finished first. They were 89 and 73, National League East. But you played alongside some future Hall of Famers, Bill Mazurowski, Willie Pop Stargell, and of course, the great one, Roberto Clemente. So, Fred, going to go down the line there. Let's start off with uh, Bill Mazeroski. What are your thoughts and recollections of Bill Mazeroski on that 1970 team? You know, it's interesting you say that. He was my first roommate and um, in the major leagues. And uh, Bill was a very quiet guy. And we did a uh, uh, spring training game in Mexico City. We went and played the Mexican All-Stars. And I was scheduled <clears throat> scheduled to pitch the first game in the eighth and ninth inning. I think Stevie Blast was starting and I finished up, you know. So uh, before the game, I was nervous. I never played with these guys before, you know. I seen them in, you know, exhibitions and things like that. And uh, they treated me, I got to say one thing. This is why I love this team. This is why I go back every year to Pittsburgh, Danny, is because they all came up to me, shook my hand and wished me luck. The first day I was there, and I never forget that. And uh, it was so good to me. And uh, three people, two special people were Roberto and Willie, who really adopted me. And uh, um, it, it was a great moment for me. And this is what the Pirates were made of. There were uh, relationships and uh, stuff like you know everything they um, they gave to you. There was no animosity on the team with Doc and or anybody like that. Uh, everybody was a team team member and everybody played um, team team baseball, you know, so I was very happy about that. But Bill, funny story about Bill, he was a very quiet man, great second baseman. And uh, after the third day, I went up to him and said, um, uh, Bill, can I ask you a personal question? He said, sure. I said, Bill, when you hit that home run in 1960, um, you know, 
Uh, it was a great moment because I was not a Yankee fan. I hated the Yankees, to be honest with you. I hope I don't offend anybody here. Uh, that's okay, but, uh, Fred. I think our uh, those feelings are mutual. <laughs> anyway, I said, Bill, um, uh, I mean, it, it was great you won and everything like that. I said, let me ask you something, because I just signed about a year ago, and it was like fighting teeth to get money out of the, the Pirates, you know. And uh, Bill said to me, I said, you get a big raise when you hit that home run. He says, Fred, you're not going to believe this. I had a fight for a thousand dollar raise. Wow. And people are not going to believe that. But to this day, I never forget that. Wow. And now when you read transactions in the paper this morning, these guys are not talking thousands. They're talking millions of dollars. Sure, you know? sure. But here it is. Uh, the moment uh, that we all listen, if you're a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, uh, exactly. something that obviously you're beating the mighty Yankees. And ownership at that time did not want to give this guy a thousand dollars. Listen, some things have not changed, you know. But now we're talking millions of dollars. Millions instead of that. And listen, I don't begrudge the players. I mean, the owners have to give it to them. But you know, TV pays all the freight on that, Danny, as you know. And uh, that's what that's why these big salaries are getting uh, just out of hand in a way. Sure. And uh, when you go to a ball game, I know I go to the game with you sometimes, and you know we're fortunate to get on the field and everything, and meet some of the players that you know, and uh, all my guys are basically gone, managers and coaches, but, you know, they're such great guys. Um, Walker from uh, Pittsburgh, what a oh, gentleman. And, Listen, and, and we, we, had Neil and, we had Neil and Tom uh, on our podcast, but, you know, you're talking about great ball players, but most importantly, great human beings. Can for our listeners, something specifically that Willie Stargell. That's so what Willie I mean, Stargell, yeah. oh, my God. He adopted me. Uh, Hemi Clemente adopted me really when I first came on the plane that day going to uh, L.A. And uh, it was just terrific. I mean, they all came up, like I said, the players. But those two particular said, after you get off here and get your stuff in a room, uh, we're taking you out to uh, lunch or dinner, whatever it was. And uh, they, you know, I never I never hit that money uh, traveling money at all during the whole trip. You know, the, all these guys were so gracious that not because I pitched pretty good the first game, but they just made you a part of the family. Yeah. That's their tradition. And uh, I never forget that. And uh, uh, to be honest with you, I love those two gentlemen and they were so good to me. Well, uh, lastly, uh, I'm sure something that you might be able to for uh, listeners, because this is the Talking 21 podcast, the great one, Roberto Clemente, something specific that might stick out in your interaction there with uh, the great Roberto Clemente. Well, I could go on for hours on that. Um, as everybody knows, um, first of all, I'd like to go back just a second, Danny, and say that, number one, uh, he is in, you know, Cooperstown, but I also think that his number should retire, should be retired, because he was the first great Latino ball player and a, a great uh, superstar. Plus, as I described Willie, I mean, uh, Roberto, sorry, that uh, he was a better person than he was a ball player. And I think that says it all right there because uh, uh, he was just a wonderful person. And uh, I give him a lot of respect. And also, he was a leader. He was a leader on that club with Stodgill, but they had different actions. Uh, Roberto would jump on you. He never really jumped on me, but, you know, if you didn't hustle the first base or you didn't uh, throw to the wrong base, it wasn't Danny Murtard that came out to do that. It was, uh, it was um, Roberto. 
and uh, it was his team. I mean, and Willie's team, and uh, they both had different approaches to handle players and things like that, which I was very, uh, I never seen a leader like that before. And uh, he was uh, uh, just a great role model. Uh, both those gentlemen were role models for myself. And, and that's know, why I still love the game today, Danny. Yeah, and continuing to talk along those lines of Roberto, um, not too many people know this, Fred, but I'm talking 21 listeners are going to hear that Roberto Clemente was actually your manager in Puerto Rico when you played with the San Juan Senators uh, Ball Club. What are your recollections of playing on the island and any funny stories? Well, um, a funny story getting there because um, uh, Roberto had four lockers in Pittsburgh and I had one little locker and in the right near him and we talked a lot, you know, and uh, I mean, for me, talking to Roberto Clemente, where two years before that, I was watching him from the upper deck in Shea Stadium, you know, and uh, he just gravitated to me and I gravitated to him, not because he was a superstar, but because of the person he was. So Joe Brown came down, general manager, and he said to me, uh, Fred, uh, I think you need some more experience. I said, okay, what am I going to do? <clears throat> he said, we're going to send you to Venezuela. I said, holy cow. Um, uh, you know, I, I wasn't too keen on that. Now, Freddie, if, if I may, you played in Venezuela as well, or he was? He said you're going to send you to Puerto Rico. We're going to send you to uh, no. We're going to send you to Puerto Rico. <clears throat> so Roberto heard that, and he said, Cambria. He said, um, uh, uh, "Let me talk to Mr. Brown and see what we can do." And about a week later, he comes back, and Mr. Brown comes down and says, "You're going to San Juan, Puerto Rico, and Roberto's the manager." Well, I mean, that just made my day. It was terrific. Uh, one, because he's a leader. Number two, I respected him. And uh, he was our manager. He was the guy who uh, worked with all the ball players. He was around the batting cage all the time. And uh, you couldn't ask for a better manager who was hands-on. Sometimes in a winter league like that, Danny, uh, you don't get that treatment where they just throw the bats and balls out. And uh, that's it. But Roberto was... Uh, uh, a, a great uh, communicator, and uh, that was so important. Now, hearing you say the great communicator, but also hands-on, speaks volumes of the ball player on how he played the game, but now in a role as a manager of wanting to help the team, make the players better players, and be instrumental with them, maybe things that he could speak to them outside of the playing field, but it just, again, it speaks volumes about Roberto. I remember you mentioned something to me, Freddie, which actually might make our listeners uh, uh, laugh here. I mean, it made me laugh when you told me the story. Wasn't there a particular soup that you had in Puerto Rico that uh, you just said, you know, it was just one of those things that you just said, I can't believe I had this type of soup. Freddie, help me out, help my memory. Listen, Danny, I came from Queens, New York, you know, I'm not used to all this stuff here. And, uh, First of all, the roads in Puerto Rico at that time were just uh, dirt roads. And okay. sometimes we were in a school bus, no air conditioning, and Puerto Rico was very hot. I thought we'd go into this Lecturia uh, uh, extravagant bus in Puerto Rico because we're in San Juan. So, you know, we had to stuff for cows on the road and everything like that. It was just an experience just getting there. And we went to Caguas over there. And I was pitching that night. Okay. So before the game, we went to a restaurant, everybody, same restaurant eating and everything like that. And I ordered some soup. I didn't want to eat too much. 
And I said, God, this is great, you know? And they were speaking Spanish. So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. You know, he, he recommended that. So anyway, I get to the, just all about leaving, ready to go. I said, hey, guy, uh, to the waiter, I said, boy, that was great soup. Can you tell me what it was? He said it was turtle soup. Well, <laughs> it didn't agree with me right after that. And uh, I barked my brains out right outside the restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I got shelled that night, too. I got shelled. Literally were, shelled, right? Uh, literally shelled. They were uh, wearing, uh, waving those uh, white towels all around. You know, they got me out of there real fast. You know. <laughs> so the, the question, Freddie, do we blame Freddie Cambria, the pitcher, or do we blame that turtle soup that you have? Who do we blame? Uh, I think it was a combination of both. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Well, you know, uh, Freddie, something that is just so sad for not only the fans, for those that knew Roberto well, was December 31st, 1972. So, Freddie, sadly, we're approaching that 50th anniversary of his uh, tragic passing. Freddie, where were you when you heard the news that Roberto Clemente had passed away? It was on New Year's Eve, and... Uh... Of course, uh, I went over to Jersey that night or Staten Island. We all met in Jersey and uh, college students, you know, all from college and went over there. And, uh, you know, we had a great time, you know, and uh, sure enough, I put music on and everything. Uh, we guess we're coming home one or two o'clock and we heard this news bulletin. You know, I said, oh, what could this be? And he said the great one passed away in a plane accident. And uh, boy, uh, my mood changed over, you know just a matter of seconds. And, uh, and going driving uh, back home, I was living in Cambridge Heights at the time. Uh, it was just an amazing, all the memories that I had were folded into while I was driving. You know, what he did for me personally, and then what he did for the team, and how he acted to the public. It was a great, uh, like I said, communicator, and uh, the fans loved him. And, he was 99% uh, of the time was very uh, genuine, gave autographs, and uh, he was great to the public. And that's why they loved him in every town, not just in uh, Pittsburgh. I would agree, Freddie. And um, so much of what uh, Raciel and I have, we talked about when we first kicked off talking 21, two years ago, and to hear those little tidbits, those stories from former players, from fans, from those that won the Roberto Clemente Award from Bob Costas, and just those uh, heartfelt stories that have been shared on this podcast and hearing you talk about Clemente, the great communicator, Clemente, the manager who is hands-on, once again, speaks volumes of who Roberto Clemente was. You know, Freddie, uh, I'm thinking also and saying to myself, although your career uh, was short in the majors, um, something that was also said that I came across that it talked about Fred Cambria, the pitcher. They said, he's not a strikeout type. He just gives the impression he knows how to pitch. That was then, Freddie. But now I'd like to hear your thoughts for 2022. Do pitchers know today how to pitch? Do they understand all the nuances of pitching? Where do you think pitching is today, Freddie, in the direction of Major League Baseball? Well, to be honest with you, Danny, I'm very disappointed because it's all about velocity and uh, uh, plate is 17 inches. And if you can't throw a strike, what good are you? You know, um, you know, I always use Greg, uh, Greg Maddox as an example. 
If you looked at Greg Maddox today, the scouts would turn him away and said, hey, sell peanuts in the stands. And to me, he was the greatest pitcher I think I ever seen. And the reason being, yes, it was the Bob Gibsons and the Seavers and all those type of gentlemen that were great pitchers. But Maddox was, he didn't throw hard. He threw uh, maybe 85, six. And, but the great thing about him, and this is what I was taught in double A, uh, because we had all the guys playing with us. Some came from the big leagues, some played in triple A and they came down to double A. And at that time, double A was uh, very respected as far as moving up to the major leagues. And um, he told me how to, and, and Timmy Murtaugh, Danny's son, was also very instrumental in helping me uh, because he called the pitches. And since I didn't know, uh, he, he, he just guided me every way. And what I did, at that time, I learned how to use both sides of the plate, up and down. And uh, that's why I became, I think, a pitcher that uh, uh, is a very true statement that I, I think I knew how to pitch. And yes, I wasn't a strikeout guy. But what I did with Owen too, Danny, this guy, gentleman, uh, Ray Cadero, who uh, I first introduced to you saying, hey, you know, he's not going to make it, that big uh, left-hander from the Dodgers. He came up to me and says, hey, I want to show you a pitch that I have. It's called the dry spitter. I said, really? I said, yeah, sure, anything, you know. And it's held with uh, no seams. It's in the middle. And the ball, when you turn your wrist over, Danny, the ball right. has great great movement on the ball. And I'll use that on one too. So, yes, I didn't get the strikeout. But when they hit the ball, they didn't hit it on a line drive or they popped up and grounded it out. So that, that, that was a savior for me. And it saved a lot of pitches also, you know, as far as actual is concerned. So again, Freddie, you know, listening along the lines of um, where baseball is today, where pitching is today. So, you know, a term that's used often now in baseball, and it might've been not worded in that respect of analytics, but what are your recollections of how did you communicate with your catcher? How was information given to Fred Cambria on the opposing team? How was how was that information passed on? Well, again, uh, Ray had a big impact on me on that. And he said, pay attention, sit in a dugout for five, six innings. And I brought a notebook with me. And uh, since I didn't know their names, I just used number five. And uh, when I saw number five come up, uh, I tried to analyze on myself the type of pitcher I was and also um, how they got them out, you know. So uh, if they jammed them or hit always the right field, uh, you, you try to bust them in and things like that. So that was very helpful to me. And before the game, if we played him the second time, I would always get with the catcher, mostly with Timmy. And he would explain to me, I said, Timmy, you know, this is what I saw. He says, yeah, you're right on the money. Now we got to get you there. And he guided me through that. And uh, if uh, he, uh, you know, I was missing, say, hi or whatever, uh, he was an excellent uh, communicator as far as uh, the mechanics of pitching. So he helped me tremendously on that because I was a short armor. And uh, I don't know if the fans know that what a short armor is, mostly just using your arm instead of using those legs. So I was very quick as far as the release was concerned. So he just told me to slow down a little bit, get on top more, and uh, you'd be fine. So uh, I think the catcher has a major impact as far as pitching is concerned, uh, 
you know, and what is the matter? You know, sometimes he was an outfield infield or a hitter and never paid much attention to, uh, you know, pitching. So uh, I give a lot of credit to Ray and uh, Cadero and the left-handed pitcher. And uh, unfortunately he never made the major leagues, but uh, I called him up a few times after it. And I, I thanked him for everything he did to me because he was one of my mentors uh, growing up as a, uh, uh, a young player, you know. You know, you mentioned legs and immediately I'm thinking of a pitcher that you battled in 1970. Actually, uh, it would have been uh, at Shea Stadium, a player that both of us had an opportunity to interact with. And that's none other than the great Tom Seaver, the late great Tom Seaver. Now, interesting enough, this game, Freddie, they must have been looking at the fan base at Shea Stadium. There was over 54,000 fans. So here it is. You had 6,000 fans in that game in San in San Diego, but now you're pitching against the great Tom Seaver, and your pitching line was better than Tom Seaver. What are your recollections of that game, which I believe was September 20th, 1970? Oh, it was. I can remember uh, the weather, everything about that day. You Let's know? hear it, man. Let's hear and, it. And uh, going to church uh, with all my friends, and I was, I stayed, I didn't stay in the city. I, I came home, and my father would drive me to the ballpark, etc. And I go into church, seeing all my friends, going out to grab something to eat because they didn't want me at the ballpark until like three o'clock, you know. So um, any, anyway, it was a big game in a way, Danny, because we're, it was the last week of the season, but we were only like one game ahead. And I uh, believe the Cubs in Montreal, they're all, you know, pretty close there. A tight, a tight race, a tight race. I'm sorry, Danny. A tight race. It was, it was still a tight, a tight race. race. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Kuzmin uh, uh, beat us four to one. So now the second game comes and I feel sorry for the bookies because they took a beating here. And uh, I would have to say that uh, all the bets were on Mr. Seaver, but you know, I did pitch very well. And uh, I know there was a couple of hits, uh, you know, that check swings and things like that. And uh, it was just one of those things. Uh, I'm more proud of that because I got a base hit that day with Mr. Uh, Danny Fasella. Oh, yeah, I recall that name. Yeah, I recall that name. And the funny part about that, uh, I faced Seaver, I think, once or twice. I, I think I hit the ground ball to short. And, you know, I don't think he, he threw his great stuff at me, you know. But uh, uh, I knew Danny in AAA. We played against him many times, and uh, we could hit at AAA at that year. And uh, Danny... Uh, was a good relief pitcher. He came up to the big leagues and spent quite a few years up there. And uh, for some reason, I always did Danny pretty well. I was considered a hitter. And when the, the going back to the Pirates drafted me, they didn't know if they're going to draft me as a hitter or a pitcher. And but they had Bob Robinson there, and that's why happened. Uh, he made me a pitcher, and they needed pitching, you know. But uh, to get back to that day, it was just a great day. And uh, again, Mr. Stodgill came through with extra innings and. Uh, I would have got the win, but unfortunately, uh, the relievers um, didn't hold on, and we had a tie game, and then Mr. Stodgill hit the scoreboard at Shea Stadium, and we won that one. So it was a big relief because now we're two games up. It was a two-game game, basically, you know. So uh, I felt good about that, and most important thing, the team felt good about it, and we won, and we looked like we were going to the playoffs. You know, it's interesting, too, uh, Freddie, that you mentioned Willie Stodgill with the homer. And a little trivia for our listeners and even for Fred Cambria, the visiting player that hit the most homers at Shea Stadium was Willie Stargell. Yeah. <laughs> so Willie played extremely well there in Queens. You know, Freddie, you mentioned earlier 
the retirement of Clemente's number? How do you like to see that happen league-wide? Freddie, if you had an opportunity to sit down with uh, the commissioner of baseball, not only that you played alongside side Roberto, Roberto was your manager, what would you tell uh, Commissioner uh, Rob Manfred? Well, first of all, Danny, I don't think he would um, uh, uh, let me come into his office and explain about Mr. Clemente because he's not a baseball guy. And uh, that's one thing because uh, I did many times, we wanted to start a fund for Roberto. I know the pirates started and they kind of just blew him off. They didn't want to do that. And uh, what I understand from a very good source, Danny, is that, uh, well, first of all, he belongs in there. There's no doubt about it. There's two gentlemen, I think, that belong there. Number one, Babe Ruth, okay? Uh, growing up as a kid, every, every little league had a Babe Ruth, okay? Everybody looked at Babe, and uh, that's number one. Number two, Mr. Clemente, okay? He was the great Latino ball player who changed the game even to this day of the Latino player of uh, players uh, being a mainstay in um, of Major League Baseball. Uh, I would think that team probably each team probably has about 50 to 60 percent Latinos. They're great ball players. They work hard and as a kid and uh, uh, Roberto uh, led the way, you know, because of his work ethic, you know, that's the other thing. And they all implement, uh, uh, you know, Mr. Clemente. But uh, there's no debate out in my eyes. I would love to meet Manfred if he did. And I could sit down and talk to him about, just like I said to you, he was a better person and he was a ball player. That's number one. And what type of leadership he gave uh, into baseball, the fans, and the community. Uh, I remember uh, many times in Puerto Rico, and I forgot to mention it before, he would ask me to come out, say, uh, you know, a day after the game and say, hey, I'm doing a kid's clinic. Can you come out and throw batting practice to me? Wow. And I would love to. And uh, he loved kids. And uh, and I like Freddie how he would call your name too. He'd say Cambria, 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 Cambria. My my English, uh, Spanish is not that good, but I try, you know. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but uh, I used to just enjoy it. And how he treated the uh, the ball players, the major league ball players, he talked to the kids like that. He was very emotional. Um, he just loved the game and wanted to do that. And he taught it the old fashioned way, you know, make contact, see the ball and hit it. And also in spring training, he had all the pitchers. He would be in charge of the pitchers. And, you know, the uh, iron mic that we had, uh, we would go in there. You had to take certain swings and he would correct all your faults, how to bunt and uh, how to do the fundamental things of uh, batting, putting the bat on the ball. That was the most important thing for a pitcher. So, uh, it was very good, but he brings so much to the table because of his personality, the communication, the leadership, and uh, the pride that he had in the love of the game. Let me tell you, Freddie, just hearing these stories about Clemente, and again, I can't thank you enough because Freddie, not only that you were in a short period of time, you impacted the 1970 Pittsburgh Pirates as a pitcher, you also stay true to your promise to making sure you completed your education at St. Leo's University. And interesting enough, Freddie Cambria, St. Leo's honored you by retiring your number, Freddie. What are your recollections of that day? Well, uh, to be honest with you, it was very emotional. And um, 
you know, yes, I had a short time in the major leagues, but I loved every second and uh, I have no regrets about it. I was a little disappointed. I hurt my arm in college, Danny, uh, to be very honest with you. And they knew that because um, I sent you a, a literature about how they found me. And, uh, you know, we're a division two school at St. Leo's and, you know, people would come to beat up on us a lot. And uh, that year uh, we had Duke, we had uh, Florida, Florida State, uh, all the Michigan coming in and we beat them all, you know? So we had a nice club. And uh, what happened was the gentleman from, I don't know if I ever told you a story. He was a pitcher for the Pirates. His name was Tom Butters, who um, got hurt in a small automobile accident with the Pirates when he was a relief pitcher. Okay. And uh, what happened is he couldn't play anymore. So he was in education and he became the athletic director and baseball coach at St. Leo University, uh, at Duke University. So they came to beat up on us and uh, I pitched that day and I did pretty well. And uh, he recommended me to Joe Brown, called Joe Brown. And he said, hey, I think I got somebody here for you. And uh, that's why um, uh, I was fortunate enough to get drafted by the Pirates. Steve Blast told me that story about two years after it happened, but they, they were roommates together. And that's how I know about that. Yeah, yeah that's, so that's, that's truly very interesting. That's, a, that's an amazing story, Freddie. And Freddie, I'll tell you, it was uh, a year in, in planning this. And I'm so happy that we had an opportunity to uh, make this happen for our Talking 21 uh, listeners to hear the story of Fred Cambria from Cambria Heights, Queens, New York, uh, your interaction with the great one, with Willie Stargell, with Bill Mazeroski. Listen, we can go on and on, Freddie. But once again, Freddie, thank you so very much for being on the Talking 21 podcast. Danny, thank you uh, very much for the opportunity because uh, this is the way I like to give back to, the play, uh, to our team, basically. Guys we didn't mention, like Dave Cash, Manny Sinke, and all these wonderful guys, Doc Ellis, where it was all one team, you know, nobody was better than the other and uh, everybody respected everybody. And I was very, very fortunate to play with the Pirates. And that's why I go back every year and just to see those gentlemen and uh, they treat me uh, like an all-star. And, you know, I only played a couple of games, but you know what, that's what type of person they were. And uh, I uh, just, I'm just so grateful, really am. And thank you for today, uh, giving me the opportunity to talk and for your broadcast today. Thank you. Well, thanks so much, Freddie, for joining us on another podcast. And I'm sure our listeners will agree with your sentiments that Roberto was a great ball player, teammate, communicator, motivator, and yes, a great human being. As we approach the 50th anniversary of Untimely Death, on New Year's Eve, let's also never forget he was also a great father, family man, friend, and yes, a humanitarian. But before we wrap up, if you enjoyed our podcast, and I'm sure you did, three words, subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Talking21Podcast. And finally, a special thank you is in order to our executive producer, Rasquevara. This is your host, Danny Torres, and be sure to follow me on Twitter at DannyT21. Tune in for next time for our continued conversation about the great one, Roberto Clemente Walker, the man who called our guest Cambria. Goodbye, adios, and happy holidays. <laughs>